And I want to talk today about how do we live today in light of eternity? Because the scripture is clear that our life here on earth is but a vapor. Uh, it is we're here today, we're gone tomorrow, and that we'll spend the majority of our life in eternity. So my job as a pastor is one, yes, biblically to give you guidance to navigate the issues of life today. Relationships and work and faith and finances. But honestly, just as important, if not more important, is to prepare you for the life to come. Uh, because we are only here for a short time, but we will be uh, with God forever in eternity. So I want to talk today about this. This, In fact, today's message title is Eternal Rewards, or sorry, Eternal Return on Investment, because I want to talk about how do we live a life that in eternity we will be rewarded for because the Bible speaks to it. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. It's a lamp unto our feet and a light unto our path. We pray as we open it up, God, that you would speak to us. And uh, we just posture our hearts, our minds to receive from you today, Lord, in the name of Jesus. And everybody said, amen, amen. I, uh, we're going to start in 2 Corinthians, if you have your scriptures with you. Uh, we're going to read mostly in Matthew 6, but 2 Corinthians 5, 10, I'm going to read in a moment. And let me give context of, um, uh, briefly, but when we pass from this life on earth, there will be two judgments that we'll all face. Um, and those two judgments are, well, number one is called the great white throne judgment. It's, it's, it's referenced in the book of Revelation. Uh, we will stand before God. And the Bible says there are books, uh, books which has a list of everything we've done on earth, every sin we've committed. For some of us, come on, they're longer than others. Come on, somebody. Uh, I lived a life before Jesus. Come on. <laughs> I got some volumes. And... Then there's a second book called the Book of Life. The Book of Life. The Book of Life, or some called the Lamb's Book of Life, is that if you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Lamb's Book of Life. And here's the good news. Um, if you have professed your faith in Jesus Christ, your name is written in the Book of Life. So when, they, when you come forward and they're like, Jeremy Burroughs, I don't know what it's all going to be like. Um, I don't know if it's like an intercom in heaven. Paging Jeremy Burroughs. <laughs> Yes, Lord. I don't know. I'm just having some fun. Um, we believe in fun in church. You'll, you'll go before God, but they will, they will look at the, if your name is in the book of life, if your name is in the book of life, you profess your faith in Jesus Christ, they will welcome you into eternity in heaven with God forever. Aren't you grateful? Can you say amen? Now, if you have not professed your faith in Jesus Christ, you will be judged according to your books. And the Bible says the penalty of your sin is eternal death. Uh, we believe heaven and hell are real because the Bible says they are. Uh, they are realities. Can I tell you? That's why we as a church must grow and expand and reach because the good news of Jesus Christ is though all of us have fallen short of the glory of God, that when you were still a sinner, when I was still a sinner, Christ died for us. Therefore, we profess our faith in Jesus Christ. God no longer sees your sin. He sees the righteousness of Christ Jesus. So I heard somebody say it this way this week. He said, who, who gets to heaven? Someone asked this gentleman. He said, perfect people. Well, he said, well, how, then how do we get to heaven? He said, well, there was one perfect person named Jesus Christ. And because of his death, burial, and resurrection, now we are seen as such before God. So that's the first judgment. The second judgment 
It's called the judgment seat of Christ. If you are a follower of Jesus, you will also have this judgment. This is a good judgment. It's called a rewards-based judgment. You will experience rewards in heaven for what you did here on earth. That's why how you live matters. That's why we don't just say, man, I'm going to heaven. Now I'm going to live like I want to. (laughs) No, it matters how we live for multiple reasons. But one, there's rewards we'll receive in heaven. Uh, 2 Corinthians 5.10, this is the Apostle Paul. He said this, we must appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each of us may receive what is due us for the things while done in the body, whether good or bad. So we all be rewarded differently depending on how faithful we were to what God asked us to do. That will include how faithful we were to his word. That will include how faithful we were to what God asked us to do. Uh, That's why, again, this Believe initiative, we are saying, ask God what he would have for you to do. And I will tell you unapologetically and passionately, do it. Why? Because it matters. It matters to God. You know, John... uh, Tillerson, he uh, said this, it's a powerful quote. He says, he who provides for this life, but takes not care for eternity, is wise for a moment, but a fool forever. I want you not to be wise for a moment, I want you to be wise forever. So we're going to talk today from the words of Jesus on how do we live with eternity in mind. Matthew 6, if you have your Bibles, is where we'll be. Um, To give context, this is in the midst of the greatest sermon ever preached by Jesus called the Sermon on the Mount. It starts in Matthew 5. It lasts several chapters. And in, in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is often contra- contrasting the ways of culture or the ways of religion with the ways of the kingdom of heaven. And uh, it's a great read. Several chapters beginning in Matthew 5. But in Matthew 6, right in the middle, it says this. Um, he says, Do not store up for yourselves treasures on earth, where moth and vermin destroy, where thieves break in and steal. But store up for yourselves treasures in heaven, where moth and vermin do not destroy, where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there there your heart will be also. The eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eyes are unhealthy, your whole body will be full of darkness. If then light within you then the light within you is darkness. How great is that darkness? No one can serve two masters. Either he will hate the one and love the other, be devoted to one and despise the other. You cannot serve both God and money. Jesus was speaking, was contrasting the way some of the people of God were living. They were professing to love God, but they were, they were consumed with building their own kingdoms here on earth. They were a little bit distracted by material possessions. Uh, That word money that Jesus uses, the word mammon, it refers more than money. It refers to possessions and things. So he specifically calls out money, although the application of this passage is beyond money. But Jesus addressed it saying, you can't serve both me and money because they they were having a divided loyalty. And there's three things I want to draw out that Jesus speaks to in this short passage that we can apply to our life. Uh, to have an eternal, eternal investment or experience eternal rewards. Here's the first one if you're taking notes. He asks us to be undistracted by the more. Here's why I call it the more. <laughs> because the Greek word for greed, which is all throughout the New Testament, um, is, it refers to, mean, the meaning is an insatiable desire 
for more. How many know we live in a culture that conditions us to have a desire for more, right? Uh, We know this, right? If one vehicle is good, two vehicles are better. If one vacation is good, two vacations are always better. Come on, can I get an amen? If one dessert's good, two desserts, you'll regret it. No, it's, it's better. If one child is good, two children are work. Come on, somebody. It's better. They're work. No, but we're so this, this, this condition for more. And now with even algorithms online, it's even worse. Have you noticed this? Like you can go and buy a new vehicle. And because your bank account information is connected to your online account that, that, that pe- the marketers can pay for, by the way, your online information so they can see what you purchase. That's why when you go pick up your phone and you scroll on Facebook, you're now seeing advertisements for a new vehicle. And now you just bought a vehicle, but you want a new vehicle because it's better. <laughs> or come on, you, you, you move into that new apartment or new condo. Three months later, you're watching HGTV. You're seeing what Joanna Gaines did to that home. And you're saying, I need a bigger house. <sighs> we are conditioned for more. We are conditioned to be discontent. Have you noticed it? Like we, we are conditioned in our, our culture. So to acknowledge it's all around us, this longing for more, it's never enough. Here's what Paul said to young Timothy in 1 Timothy 6, 9. It says, those who want to get rich fall into temptation, in a trap, into many foolish and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Note that he said the love of money. Let's be clear about something. God has no problem with you having money and lots of it. God has no problem with you having two homes, you having whatever. Here's, I want you to write this down. Here's what God has a problem with. It's not when you have money, it's when money has you. Let me also say this. You don't need to have a lot of money for money to have you. Can I get amen? You might think to yourself, that's not my issue, pastor. I don't have a lot of money. <laughs> money can still have you. Possessions can still have you. That's what God has a problem with. Here's why. Because the Bible says you will be plunged into destruction. Have you ever seen someone who's longing for more led them to make bad decisions? That they're, they're, they're longing for maybe more success at work. Led them to work long hours and it put a strain on their relationship with their spouse or children. Or that, that longing for more money led them to make unethical decisions in their business practice. Or the longing for more led you to overextend yourself beyond your own capacity, which put stress on your body, leading to physical illness. Why? It's this desire for for more. And, And let's just acknowledge it's all around us. It's all around us, and it it easily can rub on us. Paul calls it a trap. I was reminded last year we planted grass seed in our, our 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 yard. And um, they came through, um, and they had to aerate the ground. And what we, they did not tell us when they planted grass seed and they aerated the ground is that when you aerate the ground, you wake up the insects underground. So it's like, you know, all these insects who've been peacefully sleeping, and you're like pounding on the ground with metal spikes. They're like, oh, who woke me up? 
And then they're like, I'm no longer warm. You destroyed my home. I need to find a new home. And guess whose home they found? Yours truly. So literally, a few days after they aerated our ground, hundreds of ants in our house. So I called pest control. He came out, and he had this um, little gel. And he, like, he, he, sprayed, he, he, he laid this gel on the inside of our doorway and then right outside on our kind of front area. And I said, what's this gel that you're, you're laying out? He said, it's a cherry-flavored gel. He said, ants love sweet. I said, well, who does it? You know? He said, they're going to eat this gel, and they're going to overeat. Why? Because it's more. It's good, right? And then they're not only going to overeat. He said, they're going to actually take some to bring it back to the colony. And they're like, yo, you got to try this cherry gel we got at the Burroughs house. It's amazing. He says it will kill all of them. That their, that their lust for more took their own life. Paul says, if we're not careful, our longing for more will bring destruction to our life. Tim Keller, pastor from New York, author. I love a quote that he said that, that I think is, is challenging and very truthful. He says, Jesus warns people far more often about greed than, than about sex. Yet almost no one thinks they're guilty of it. Therefore, we should all begin with the working hypothesis that this could easily be a problem for me. If greed hides itself so deeply, no one should be confident that it's not a problem for them. Jesus said this, beware. Guard yourself against every kind of greed. So every kind. Every longing for more. That word guard is like someone's attacking your home and you are armed to guard your house against these invaders. We are bombarded all around us. In media, everywhere we turn, we are bombarded with the more. James was speaking to a group of, of, of Jewish believers who were much like those Christ was talking to or writing to. And, and he says this to them because they were, they were divided between the things of God and the things of, of building a, a, a little kingdom here on earth. He said, humble yourselves before God. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. But you have to resist the ongoing assault of the more. That might mean saying, you know what, I'm not going to go certain places because I'll be tempted. I, I will be more discontent. Have you ever thought to yourself, you're like, you don't want to watch certain commercials or certain ads because I'll be less content with what I have? Listen, this might free some of you up. I've actually done this. There are some like pages on social media I unfollow if it, if it stirs up discontentment in my life. Because the Bible says godliness with contentment is great gain. So if it stirs up discontentment in me, unfollow. <laughs> Here's a little trick. If you see all these social media ads, because, again, they, they have your online banking information connected to your accounts, so they're going to keep giving you ads. So when you go buy a new outfit, and then you come home, and that same store is now sending you emails, and they're showing you ads because they sold your information to that company, they're now showing you all those. Here's a trip. Ready? Unsubscribe. <laughs> Click the, these three little dots on your social media ads, and you can say, hide this ad forever. Like, why? Because I don't want to be stirred up to be discontent. 
Have you ever had this? Have you ever had a great day and then you scrolled Instagram and now you're having a bad day? Come on, the devil's in social media. Come on, somebody. No, we're not anti-social media, but, but you got to resist it. I had, a, I had a friend of mine even tell me, he said, hey, like, honestly, he was like, Jeremy, I want to let you know I love nice things, but I don't want nice things to have my heart. He said, can you hold me accountable? And maybe that's for you. You're just saying, be honest with somebody. Hey, if I'm, and let's just say, it's not just money and possessions. Maybe your more is more success at work. Can I tell you, for years for me, that was my drug of choice. Uh, or maybe it's more, maybe accomplishments or letters behind your name. Like whatever it might be is maybe get some accountability for someone to lovingly hold you accountable. Hebrews 13, 5, the Hebrew author of Hebrews says, don't love money. Be satisfied or content with what you have. For God said, I will never fail you. I will never abandon you. Can I encourage you when you feel discontent, allow your discontentment to lead you to Christ. Because, because these things in your life are going to breed a discontentment that cannot be satisfied by anything else other than a relationship with God. I have uh, right now the Burroughs family. We, uh, my three children, all three of them right now are sick at home. Uh, different viruses going around. So, Christina, if you are watching, I love you, baby. I'm coming home to you quickly. Come on. I told you I got game. You got to keep working it. Man, spit the game. You got to, okay? You don't need a microphone to do it. Just do it right now. Whisper sweet nothings. Hold her hand. Ain't no shame in that game. It's holy before God. Okay, we'll move forward. But I love you, baby. I got distracted now. Thinking about that woman. No, I'm serious. Where was I? Oh, yesterday. So yesterday. So yesterday, Friday night, so we had three kids at home sick, and my youngest was up, like, multiple times. So Friday night, I had broken sleep. So I woke up yesterday real tired, and um, so I tried to push through with coffee. I believe coffee can solve most of my problems most of the time. Can I get an amen, right? Like, it's like, something's off. I have coffee. You're like, oh, I don't know what's in that, but it just feels right now. Um... But coffee was not, like, it wasn't helping me fight the fatigue. So it was, like, late in the day. It was, like, 4 o'clock, and I was, like, listen, I just need, like, a power nap. I just need to, like, get a quick, like, nap in. I, I laid down for a moment, had a quick nap, woke up. I felt like a new man. You ever had that moment? Like, sometimes all you need is a nap. Like, if you're, like, angry, and then you nap, and you're, like, a man of peace, right? <laughs> like, like, you feel ungodly. But then you nap and you're like, oh, God, the Spirit of the Lord is in this place. <laughs> I love what Rick Warren said. He said, sometimes the most godly thing you can do is take a nap. Some of you, you just go home today, lay on that couch, and take a nap. But what caffeine could not satisfy, a nap did. I woke up refreshed. Can I tell you, the more of life. And I'm in this with you. I'm not saying I'm like up here, like I've never had a problem with this. No, I used to think more success, even more education, the more of life would satisfy the discontentment in my spirit. But can I tell you, it's like drinking salt water from the ocean. It will only leave you more thirsty. It's only found in Christ. Which brings to the second point. So undistracted, 
by them more. Then he asks for undivided loyalty to God. He says, the eye is the lamp of the body. If your eyes are healthy, your whole body will be full of light. He asks for undivided loyalty. That word eye means a singular devotion. He's, like, I mean, he's asking for a singular devotion. He even goes as far at the end of this passage and he calls it out. He said, you can't serve both God and money. He calls it, you, you can't do both, he says. He says, you have to have a singular devotion. You can't have a divided loyalty. Because that's what was happening in this context. And the reality is, we all can be susceptible to have a divided loyalty. We can love God, but we can allow our work, if we're honest, to get in the way of our relationship with God. I've been there in the past. Where I've allowed it to interrupt my time of worship. I've allowed it to interrupt my time in the morning with God. That we can be so consumed with finances or money or the more that we don't put God first in our finances. That we're all can be susceptible. And here's what he's saying. Listen, be careful about having divided loyalties. It can happen with our kids. We can love God, but we can get so busy in our kids' activities like that we can find ourselves interfering with our own relationship and our family's relationship with God. And parents, may I submit to you again, the most important thing that you can do for your children is to raise them in the ways of Christ. That's going to do far more for their life than them being good at soccer. And my kids are in soccer. That's going to do far more for them, even their education, because eternity is real and it matters. Can I get amen? amen? Verse 25, he says this, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you eat or drink, about your body, what you will wear. It is not life more than food and the body more than clothes. He goes on to say, listen, the people who are far from God, they're worried about all of these things, but, but not so with you. He's saying don't, don't have a divided loyalty. I've said this before, but I want to say it again. What Christ was saying is do not allow the blessings from God to take the place of God. And sometimes if we're not careful, I've seen this. People have prayed for a relationship, and then he comes into your life, she comes into your life, and next thing you know, they begin to edge out God in your life. Listen, the enemy would love for God to answer your prayer, and the answer to your prayer, take the place of him. The enemy loves that. But we keep God first. And he says, when you have divided loyalty, I want you to watch this, it actually leads to anxiety and worry. I'm not speaking about clinical anxiety. I'm speaking of the anxiety we've all felt. He's saying, when you begin to put your trust in something else other than me, when you begin to find your security in something else other than me, when you begin to rest your identity in something else other than me, it will lead to worry and anxiety. Let me illustrate this for you. I have a couple of chairs that our team's going to bring up uh, to kind of show this. Uh, one of these chairs you are sitting in right now. Uh, it's an adult-sized chair. And then this other chair, if you can't see it, is uh, a kid's stool that your child may be sitting in as I speak. So we have these two different chairs. And, and maybe I think we all could agree here, uh, if you can see them, um, that how many would say is that you're confident that if you sat in this chair, 
even for a prolonged period of time, it would hold you successfully. I hope you agree with that because you're sitting in this chair. We're about to test it out. Right? But, but even myself, as a larger man, like this chair can, can hold me, right? I can sit here for a while. But this green stool, your boy's not even going to try it, okay? I'm fairly confident this green stool, conditioned for the body of a four-year-old little girl, could not hold a 39-year-old man, who I will not mention his weight, but is rather broad, Right? This little stool is insecure. This chair is secure. Here's what Christ says. Here, listen to this. Don't have divided loyalty, meaning don't put your trust in that which is insecure. Don't put your trust in your finances, i.e. the economy, which is unreliable. And we can all say amen to that in 2022. Do not put your security in your job. Because no matter how secure you think it is, it's not perfectly secure. And can I help somebody out this morning? might be hard to hear, but it's the truth. There will always be someone smarter than you, more talented than you, and someone one day who will take the role that you have. Aren't you glad you came to church this morning? (laughs) So do not, my friends, rest your identity, your security, your sense of worth upon that which is so unreliable. Those degrees you're working so hard to earn. My two graduate degrees I earned years ago. Can I tell you with each passing year, the value of those degrees go down. Why? Because everything is unreliable. The Bible says in Hebrews, every other kingdom of this world, global economies, governments, the public health system, the Bible says it will be shaken. There's a kingdom that will never be shaken. There's a throne in heaven that will never be shaken. Can I tell you, leaders will come and go. Politicians will come and go. I know we're up on the election coming up. Listen, but there is one king who has been the king of all kings. He is seated at the right hand of the father. And I have good news for you. He will never be removed from his place over the earth. So we don't put our trust Can I tell you, let those who are away from God be anxious over the economy. But let not us as the people of God. Because he is Jehovah Jireh. He is my provider. And I don't care what's happening around me because my security is not in an unstable economy. My security is in the Christ, the cornerstone, the foundation. Christ on solid rock I stand. All other ground, economies, governments, your job, education. It's sinking sand. But we can stand firm. We can sit reliably on the rock of Jesus Christ. Oh, I'm a beloved church. Church, you are a beloved child of God, and nothing can, nothing can change that. No economic downturn, no layoff, no depreciation of a degree, no change in your position, no change in a relationship can change the fact that before the eyes of God, you have infinite value. That when you felt unworthy, he said, you're worthy of my son. When you felt unlovable, he said, God so loved the world, he gave his son for you. 
But when you rest your identity and your security on anything else, he says you'll lead to anxiety and worry and instability. Let us as the people of God. Here's what Christ said in Matthew 6, 33. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness. And all, all else will be given to you as well. Here's what he says. He said, don't, don't, even, don't even put any, any trust, any weight on that which is unreliable. But seek first. Put, put, put your trust in him first. It means before you put anything else in your schedule, you put your time with God first. Before you give to anything else, you give to God first. Why? Because he's my provider. He's my source. He's my father. He's my king. He's my Lord. He will never change. First. And the Bible says, not Jeremy, the Bible, Jesus Christ says, and all the other things you want, They'll be given to you as well. Is he first? Because Christ was speaking of finances, my, my, my dial down a little bit. Biblically speaking, you will never have financial security until God is first. You'll always have financial anxiety because everything else, our 401k, Come on, how many of you know right now? Don't even look at it. Come on, somebody. <laughs> it's all unreliable. You did your part, it's still shaking. Why? The Bible says so. But when you put God first, there's a peace, there's a security that nothing on this earth can bring you. If you believe it, can you say amen? Amen. Seek first. He goes on to say this in Matthew 7, 24 and 25. He says, therefore, everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house. Yet it did not fall because it had its foundation on the rock. Jesus said that storms will come. Aren't you encouraged? Hardships will come. I was reminded of a um, friend of mine. I heard him tell a story recently. You can move the chairs. Thank you, Brian. Uh, give it up for our, our ushers. Always grateful for our team. A friend of mine was telling me, a, I heard a story. He was uh, talking to a friend of his who he lived in a part of the Gulf Coast that was called, I don't know how large the area is, but they called it like Hurricane Alley. And he said, why do you live in a place called Hurricane Alley? Um, and he said, well, look at my view. <laughs> he lived right on the ocean. But then he shared, he said, well, my house, the way my house was built, is, he says, I have, my, my foundation goes down deeper than the average house. And then there's these cement pillars on which my house sits. Our living area is the second and the third story. So the first story is all cement. He said, it would take a Category 5 hurricane to sit over my house for five hours for any damage to be done to my house. He said, the way my house is up on these risers, it would take significant flooding in order for there to be any damage. Here's what he said. I know where I live. There's a propensity for storms. 
Therefore, I have built my house in such a way to withstand the storms. You will face storms in life. You will face sickness. You will lose loved ones. There will be economic downturns. You will face financial hardships. You will have issues with your children. All the parents said amen. Amen. Storms will come. Here's my exhortation to you as your pastor. The storms of life will come. If they haven't come, they will. Build a house that can stand. And a house that will stand, in the words of Jesus, is a house built upon the word of God. That means how do I live my life? Before I consult a popular cultural ideology, I consult the word of God because it's eternal. When I need direction for a relationship, I don't look to what my best friend says. I look to what God's word says first. I don't look to what a coworker says on how I should respond to my boss in that situation. I first look to the word of God for how I should respond to that situation. I am not led by my feelings. Listen, your feelings are a great dashboard indicator, but they are one of the worst navigators you could have in your life. I was a former psychologist. And I say that in that way. It, it is a terrible navigator. Your feelings will lead you in a ditch if you let them lead you. So we are not led by our feelings. We are led by the Spirit. Spirit leads. The Word leads. We build our life on the rock. May I ask you this morning, maybe you're here, and you would even say, maybe you recognize you have some divided loyalty. You know, James says this, speaking of those who have a divided, meaning they love God, but they're allow some other things to get in the way. Here's what James says. He says, a double-minded person is unstable in all they do. Unstable. Man, here's what Jesus is saying. If you have a divided loyalty, don't, hear any, don't feel any condemnation. He's just trying to help us. Is put God back at the place of priority in your life. It's saying, God, I'm putting you back first. I'm putting you over my pursuit of wealth. I'm putting you over my pursuit of success. I'm putting you even over relationships. I might be good relationships, but you are first. Because if I see God first, all the other things will be added unto me. Here's the third and final point. So he says, be undistracted by the more. Have undivided loyalty to God. And here's the last one. is have unconditional obedience towards God. Have unconditional obedience. Verse 20, he says, store up for yourselves treasures in heaven. Now, specifically, he was speaking about money in this, in this verse. So there's application there, but it's beyond that. Because how we store up treasures in heaven, how we have reward for eternity, is through our obedience. Obedience is a truth that you see all throughout the Old and New Testament. Deuteronomy talks all about the Lord telling the Israelites, hey, if you obey my word, if for generations to come will obey my word, I will prosper you. God tells young Joshua in Joshua 1.9, if you meditate on my word and you do what it says, I will make you prosperous and very successful. God has no problem with you being prosperous and very successful, but he has a way in which you do it. You obey his word. Jesus said, you'll be blessed if you'll put the words into practice. 1 Kings 2, 3, David tells his son Solomon, observe what the Lord your God requires, walk in obedience to him, 
and keep his decrees and commands, his laws and regulations, as written in the law of Moses. Do this so that you may prosper in all that you do and wherever you go. God asks us, and what's best for us is unconditional obedience. Have you ever read a word in the scriptures or you felt God speaking to you and then you thought to yourself, God, do you know what my life looks like right now? (laughs) You're asking me to do what? God, do you know it's 2022? God, do you know what's happening around me? Do you know what unconditional obedience to the Lord looks like? It looks like you, it looks like me saying yes before we even know what he's asking us to do. Say, God, let your will be done. Let your kingdom come. God, yes, I'm listening. What do you want me to do? Can I tell you, that's the heart of this Believe initiative. That's why I've been telling you, and I hope you have, church, not for any other reason but for your own self, is ask God what he would have for you to give. Why? Because you hear from God, and then whatever he tells you, go all in. Why? Because the Bible's clear. There's prospering, there's blessing, on your life when you obey the Lord. 1 Timothy 6, 18 and 19, Paul, speaking about generosity and obedience, says this, Command them, command us to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. In this way we lay up treasure for themselves as a firm foundation for the coming age, so that they may take hold of life that is truly life. So Paul says, be generous, do good, be, be obedient to the scriptures, to the leading of the Holy Spirit. He says, when you do so, I love this. He says, you're going to lay up treasures in heaven, treasures for yourselves, rewards in heaven. He uses the same phrases of, of Jesus. But then he says that you'll experience life that's truly life. You'll actually begin to live how Christ intended when we walk in obedience to him, when we live generously, when we serve God. And what I love about obedience in our lives to the Lord is that when we're obedient, here's what the scriptures tells us, three things I want to share with you. The last one is more specifically about generosity, but the first two is any area of obedience. The Bible promises, number one, is that you will be blessed. You will be prospered. Number two, you'll have treasures in heaven, rewards in heaven. And then number three, with generosity, when you are generous, others' lives are blessed through you. Isn't it amazing how through your natural obedience, God multiplies it in three? He blesses you. He prospers you. You have rewards in heaven. And others' lives are blessed because of it. Here's the beautiful thing. When you, th- when you take something temporal, your time, your talent, your treasure, when you take a temporal dollar and you put it in the hands of a supernatural God, he will take it further than you could ever do. He will make an eternal impact through your temporal resource. That's the beauty of God. That, that, that's what he does in our life when we offer it up to him. My last scripture is Matthew 16. Jesus says, whoever wants to save their life will lose it. Whoever loses their life for me will find it. In other words, those who try to find their security 
and the things of this world. As Paul said in 1 Corinthians 3, the things of this world that have no eternal value will be burned up at the end of days. They'll be burned up. They'll be nothing. So if you try to build your own life, build your own sense of security and your success and your finances and your relationships, you'll actually lose the very thing you've been attempting to receive. He says, but if you lose your life for Christ, you find true life. For the Son of Man, verse 27, is going to come in the Father's glory with his angels, and he will reward each person according to what they have done. As your pastor, I want you to be prepared for that day when you will be rewarded for what you have done. What God asks of us is an unconditional obedience, that we're undistracted by the more, that we have undivided loyalty. God is, God is first in our life. God is not an accessory to your life. He is Lord of your life. Here's a side note. Write this down. Here's how you know God is Lord of your life. You do things that he wants you to do that in your flesh you don't want to do. If, if the only thing you do for God are things you want to do, he's an accessory. He might not be Lord. Because when he's Lord, when he's king, there are things he'll ask you to do that you might not feel like it. But you trust him. And then you have unconditional obedience. Warren Wearsby said this, a theologian. What does it mean to lay up treasures in heaven? I love this. It means to use all we have for the glory of God. God, everything I have is yours. Everything comes from you, and it's all for your glory, for your honor. Church, can you bow your head with me?